beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. The Lord is, amen. The Lord is beautiful, amen. The Lord is absolutely beautiful. My heart has been so blessed already this morning. Um, sometimes, I guess this is, this is my confession, but how many of you know, sometimes you've got to get outside yourself to see the blessings of God and see what's going on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? you kind of got to get outside yourself, <laughs> your own self. And uh, this morning has just been such a blessing, even as the band was practicing in here and, and coming in and just uh, being able to be in the presence of the Lord. And, 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 and at the same time, um, you know, three of these beautiful little girls, uh, five years old or less, running around and playing and with one another. And then you glance up and you see their parents up here and God's hand on their life. And they're just using their talents and abilities for the Lord. And God gives you the beauty of that as you're meditating in the spirit and and, and being in the presence of the Lord, and then he gives you a picture of uh, Miss Eileen Michael, uh, 100 years of age. She made it this past Thursday, our oldest, uh, yeah, amen, our oldest, uh, our most well-seasoned, all right, our most well-seasoned church member, uh, and, um, and so we wanted to have her with us today to honor her, but obviously, uh, y'all know, those of you that are 100 know that sometimes, you know, you just can't get out. Uh, like you want to get out, and so anyway, but we do, we do honor her today, and so some family friends and some of our faith family, some of our Sunday school members will be doing that at 2 o'clock uh, at the nursing home there, at Magnolia Nursing Home, and so anyway, uh, we're going we're gonna to honor her life, but it's just a beautiful picture to see the hand of God all across his body, uh, to, get a, to get a text from our middle school minister, Jonathan, and uh, to get a text from him that says we had a student make a decision last night, amen, for the glory of God. Amen, amen. And, uh, and then just to get, to get to just see what God's doing through all these young people. And uh, it's just a blessing to see. God, God is good. The Lord reigneth over all the earth, amen. And uh, he's a great God. Well, it is a blessing to have you. I want to add my word of welcome uh, to all of our new members that are coming into the life of the church. And it's a blessing. I'm so glad uh, the ones of you that will be able to make that, that were able to make it. And then we had some that actually were here and had to leave because of sickness. So I immediately I started thinking of families that I already were uh, that I was aware about. And so I know the Beckhams had to leave. They were here. Um, Bo Beckham. And then I know that a uh, little Porter uh, Best, his uh, family was going to be here and uh, but he got the flu, and then there was one more, I think, that was uh, mentioned sick. And so anyway, we, we want to welcome all of those uh, into the faith family and look forward to uh, voting them officially in next week. Well, God's Word, Genesis, the first book of the Torah. Genesis is where we are at, and we've been walking our way through. Uh, and uh, we'll actually conclude this series this morning, our Beyond the Garden series. We kick the new year off with this series, uh, basically starting with uh, our parents, Adam and Eve, uh, and uh, with, the, with the hope and the desire to learn from our parents' mistakes. And uh, I found there's great benefit in doing that and great benefit from as we go on um, in our own lives learning from uh, mistakes that others have made that we would make the same mistakes in being disobedient to God in trying to uh, want what God has or want to be like God or want to be even higher than God was the temptation uh, that the enemy put in there. Uh, and they, uh, they took the bait and sin by doing that, that we would, we would learn from our parents and not do that. We saw the damage of our sin as we looked at the first baby boy ever born when we looked at the life of Cain and Abel and how the jealousy within Cain 
uh, towards Abel, his brother, uh, uh, rose up within him and he actually killed his brother. We saw the accountability, the consequences to that, and just the striving of what happens in a sin-cursed world that we still see as we've seen this past week. And we need to remember all those family members, obviously, and continue to remember them in prayer uh, in Florida who are burying loved ones who are going through that time that God's light, and God's light will shine, not that it might, but God's light will always shine in the darkest of times. Did you know that? Always. God will get glory out of those situations, but we obviously see the impact and effects of living in a sin-cursed world and what all of that looks like. And then we move forward talking about the world in which we live and, and how that uh, in times past that when God looked down, uh, everything was wicked, rampant wickedness, and thank God, uh, God was able to find a man named Noah. Uh, who, uh, not because of his own works, but because of his faith that justified him, that led to true uh, works of Christ. Uh, and uh, he, he uh, encountered, as we've been talking about on Wednesday night in James, uh, he, uh, he encountered uh, God in Jesus who gave him the root uh, of his salvation. And because he got the root right, the fruit automatically came in your life. How many of you know when you've got the root, there will be fruit in your life at some periods and seasons of your life. There will be some sort of fruit. And uh, when there's not fruit producing, it's because we uh, are not being obedient or we've gotten sidetracked and we're not surrendering ourselves daily to the Holy Spirit in our life. And so we walk through that, uh, just doing a little recapping with you here about what that looked like and the wickedness of man. We talked about the Tower of Babel where, where it became wicked once again. Uh, but God did not come down as he promised when he painted the rainbow in the sky that he would not destroy it with water. But he did come down and he did uh, d disperse men across and he divided men uh, and, and, and their languages to where they could not build for, them own, for their own selves. And so the importance of that is, is that we may not be building a per se physical tower uh, of ourself with selfishness, but the tower may be our own family. The tower may be our own job. The tower that we're building may be our own uh, 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 dreams to dream through our children uh, that bring more worldly satisfaction, uh, bring the coach more satisfaction than they do bring God the satisfaction when we're told to seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Amen. And all these things uh, will be added unto us. And so we walk through what that looks like. And then we got into the patriarchs and we got into Abraham and how uh, Abraham too uh, found uh, basically uh, was, a, was called a friend of God because he also, like Noah, uh, had, had, had found God and decided to follow God when no one else was following him or worshiping God, even his own father. And so God began to bless him because of that. And then we just started working down uh, through the line. And Pastor Henry did a wonderful job last week tying in Paul's words there uh, in the New Testament and reflecting back to the work of God in the life of Abraham when it comes to uh, that he would give him a child, a promise at the age of 100. Uh, that'd make any 100-year-old man faint in Jesus' name right there to be told you were about to get a child, and it'd make a 90-year-old lady run and hide. You know what I'm talking about and laugh, and so that's what happened with Sarah, but God was faithful uh, to his word, and he accomplished that, but yet man tried to take things into their hands first, and then we're still paying the consequences today behind a divided line that goes all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael. But I'm thankful to God to be under the promised son. Anybody else, I'm thankful to be attached to the line, amen, because of the line that was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ through the promised blessing of Abraham and um, 
God's called us to help others walk in light that have been deceived like our adopted city, believing that that line comes through Ishmael rather than the promised son being Isaac. And so that points to Jesus. And so that's the heartbeat. Now, today what I'm going to do, because next weekend we've got a very big weekend going on around here, okay? Uh, and that is going to be a student weekend that our students are going to be involved in that we call D-Now. And so they're going to be saturated uh, in a place, in homes of, thank God, uh, some of our uh, uh, family members being willing to open your home to house these kids. Some of the most impactful times in my life where I got to see God work in the life of students was in those settings, in those D-Nows. We called them breaking free. Uh, but anyway, and so that kids could be a part of that. And so I want to I stop and cover that right now as we also pray over our middle school students. Uh, but, uh, and then next week, uh, we're uh, going to get to have those students in here, sleepyheads and all, uh, and uh, to just kind of uh, bring that to a conclusion that weekend. And we're going to go ahead and pray God move over it uh, right now. So would you pray with me and join and then be here next week to show these young people uh, what, how much we believe in them as the future generation. Father, thank you, God. Um, that with you all things are possible, Father God. Thank you that your mercies are new every day and over all your works, Lord. Thank you, God, that um, you are still, Father God, at work, God, in this world, God. And Lord, even in one of the most disconnected, Father God, generations, God, in the same generation, Lord, that we see so much disconnectedness, God, we see, God, a connectedness of the same generation, God, which is these young students, God, that are more connected to you, Father God, Lord, the ones, even though they're a minority, God, would you empower them? Would you fill them with your Holy Spirit, Father God? Would you empower these that know you? Uh, Lord, to be burdened about their lost friends, Father God. Would you empower them, Lord God? Would you set them apart, God, to, to say what you want to say to them, God, over this weekend, Father God, that their leaders have worked so hard, God, uh, our youth pastors in the community, Lord, to, to, to allow you to pour into them, Father God. Would you honor that time, Father? Would you, would you honor those who have opened their homes? Would you speak, God, through the messenger, Father God, uh, in a mighty way, Father Lord? And would you have your way, Father Lord? Through that, Lord, thank you for what you're doing, our middle schoolers, God, in all of our ministries, our children, our preschool, seniors, God. And may you continue to get the glory for everything that's done. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to take a fast trip journey this morning through the life of Joseph as we conclude this series. Now, Joseph was the son of Jacob, and Jacob was the son of Isaac that Pastor Henry talked about. And so we're just going to fast forward a little bit here from Isaac uh, to Joseph. And so uh, those of you that have heard the stories before, and uh, most of you, if you've heard them, you've probably heard them in small group or Sunday school. That's the importance of being engaged and growing together with the body in, the, in a systematic way, sometimes through the Word of God. And you've heard some of these stories. And Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac also had two sons, and his two sons were Esau and Jacob. And Jacob, Joseph's father, was the one who basically uh, deceived his brother Esau and uh, stowed his, not only his birthright, but also his blessing. And so uh, we, we, we see that is, the, that is Jacob. But at the same time, this man who was a master of deception... Uh, and uh, even his mom helped instill some of that in him uh, in working against their dad and their brother to deceive the father, uh, Isaac. Uh, this man, we see a beautiful picture of his life and his salvation, his sanctification being an ongoing process like you and me. Uh, we see God's hand as God's working in his life to remove 
uh, the deception, to remove the lack of trust. And then we see a beautiful picture. I think Jack spoke about it to the middle schoolers a couple of Wednesday nights ago uh, where Jacob is encountering God and he's wrestling with God and he will not let his God go because he so wants to be in tune uh, in an intimate way, in a, in a divine way uh, with his God. And so he, uh, he wrestles to the break of day. Have you ever wrestled with God to the break of day because you wanted him so bad? Have you ever just held on so bad? Most of us, you're probably like me, you know, you start wrestling with him and you go to sleep pretty quick at night, all right? And so, but Jacob uh, wrestled with God, uh, and so that was a beautiful, beautiful story. And now Jacob has all these sons, and, uh, and then he has this son named Joseph, and that's where we find ourselves in Genesis 37. A lot of scripture today, I will not. If I just read the scripture we've got out, that would take all the time, and so I'm not going to do that. I'll be doing a lot of paraphrasing. But encourage you to read the life of Joseph. If there's probably been anybody in the Bible next to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that uh, has helped me as a person uh, and uh, that I can identify within life, uh, it would be Joseph. Uh, it would be the life of Joseph uh, and uh, that has helped me uh, more than anything very similar to my life to know what it's like to be in the bottom of the pit. And uh, when you're in the bottom of the pit, there's only one way to look for help, and that's vertically to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior that will lift you out of the pit no matter where you're at. And um, I feel just depend on him and lean on him. So uh, the, uh, the uh, sermon title is Against All Odds. Everybody say Against All Odds, if you would, please. Against All Odds. The takeaway is you can win against all odds when you're in the place of God. You can win against all odds when you're in the place of God. And it's very important for us to, uh, to, to, soak, to soak that in uh, and let it get deep in our spirit, not just in our mind. So we see several situations where the odds were stacked against Joseph. And so I'm just kind of going to share, uh, share what Joseph was up against, share his life, but at the same time share this principle that you can win against all odds when you're in the place of God. The first situation is Joseph against his brothers. Or I guess you could say his brothers against Joseph. And so in Genesis chapter 37, here's what's happening. God has already set uh, Joseph apart. He did know him before he formed him in, in his mother's womb, just like you and I. And he's got this wonderful God-honoring God -honoring plan and purpose for his life. And so what he gives Joseph that is different than he gave any of the other sons of Isaac, or Isaac himself so much, is that he, um, he or uh, Jacob, I'm sorry, uh, he gives Joseph the ability to not only dream, but to interpret dreams. And so uh, in, in his dreams, uh, that's what I do want to give you. I want you to look at uh, verse 1 of Genesis chapter 37, and we'll, we'll get this, how this is happening, the ability that God gave him. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph bought a bad report uh, of uh, them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age uh, and from his choice wife, um, uh, Rachel there, not Leah. And so he, uh, because uh, he says, and he made him a robe of many colors. Now this is not a message on parenting or grandparenting, but I would not show favoritism. It can create a lot of problems for you. Uh, and I, think, I don't think that was wise. But anyway, but uh, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, verse 5, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Now we don't see, we know Joseph was a sinner, uh, but we see such faithfulness in his life. But if he did make one mistake, possibly, uh, it was sharing his dream with his brothers, all right? Uh, maybe, I don't know, at the wrong time. But anyway, it created problems. Verse 7, 
Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. You can just see the anger building now. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his works. Then, another, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So the first situation is really Joseph against his brothers here, and they're becoming jealous in that. Uh, and so you see the sheaves, and um, the, their sheaves bowing down to his. You see the sun, moon, and 11 stars representing his entire family, uh, and they are coming in some way, and they are having to humble themselves and having to bow down before him. There's a truth statement in this first situation with the life of Joseph, and here it is. I want to give it to you. We may not always understand God because his ways are not our ways. But he will accomplish, everybody say accomplish. He will accomplish his purpose in our lives if we faithfully follow him. So we're not always going to have the understanding. Uh, and if we wait to get the understanding before we step out in faith and follow God in obedience, then we will miss the heartbeat of God and miss what God wants to do in our heart and in our life. And so if you are a child of God, there's something that God desires to do in and through you, and the devil will do everything to stop it. How many of you the devil's tried to stop before when you live for the Lord? <laughs> Woo, every believer in the room that's a true believer, he will come against you to try to stop you, to try to, try to defeat you, discourage you. So look at this second situation. We see that start to happen in Joseph's life. Joseph against Potiphar's wife. You go to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. Joseph... All right, once he gets from the place of where he went to check on his brothers, they got a plan. They, uh, they wanted to kill him, and so they, instead of killing him, uh, Reuben had a little bit of sympathy, one of his brothers, and so instead of killing him, they saw some Ishmaelite traders, and they said, well, there comes some Ishmaelite traders. We might as well get some benefit out of his life uh, and some personal benefit, and so they traded him off. They basically sold him off as a slave, and then he goes into Egypt, uh, and so he uh, is uh, basically given an opportunity and a platform in Egypt but with a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar saw how sharp he was, how wise he is. He saw his hard work ethic, students, uh, that we should have that's God-honoring, uh, and adults as well. And so God began to um, do some uh, basically exalting in his life, uh, you know, personally. Uh, both spiritually and physically, and, and giving him a platform. And everything was going pretty good in Joseph's life and was going better in chapter 39 until the devil uh, popped his little head up, right, uh, in, in the form of, um, uh, of working through Potiphar's wife. And so Joseph, because of his integrity, Proverbs 27, blesses the man who walks his integrity, for he will be, his children will be blessed after him. Joseph, because of his integrity, had basically uh, found himself in a, in a great place to be, uh, to basically be bringing honor to God and then honoring those who were above him. And Potiphar trusted him with all his things, all his house, everything, his grounds. And so Joseph, this is going great. Joseph is taking care of Potiphar's place, his grounds, uh, so that Potiphar can do his responsibilities and roles. 
And uh, one day, Potiphar's wife comes in, and this didn't happen overnight the first time she saw him. I'm sure it was building in the mind like most affairs start with. Most affairs start with an emotional connection because there's an unmet uh, need in the life of somebody, and people make the mistake of rather than going to Christ to meet their needs and their insecurities and to die to their pride, they try to go to somebody else thinking it's going to get better, right? Uh, and then you just cause more damage in the whole dynamic and situation normally. Uh, because it's not things that are done in a God-honoring way uh, that most, um, when most walk through that process. So Potiphar's wife comes in, and she basically uh, you know, looks at Joseph, probably I think of Proverbs. I know Steve and Jen's leading our college through Proverbs, been in the book of Proverbs. I think of Proverbs 5 through 7. Uh, and I think about how you know Potiphar, Potiphar's wife was like the lady that we see there in those Proverbs, uh, and uh, she basically uh, was flaunting herself. Uh, I believe she was, uh, uh, obviously, she was doing everything she could to make Joseph notice her. Uh, and so, but Joseph, guess what? Joseph wasn't noticing her uh, because Joseph was faithful to the Lord. And Joseph knew what wasn't his. He had no business even entertaining. Boy, I wish we could get there with a lot of men in our society today, don't you? Not to even start to entertain it if it's not what God said. You know what I'm saying? can be ours. Or not to have thoughts that we shouldn't have. Joseph was this kind of man, young people. You say, can you really win that battle? Oh, you can. You can with the help of the Lord. And if you want to, uh, you can. Any battle can be won with the help of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph's winning the battle. And so Potiphar's wife comes in and finally gets so desperate, and she just really comes on strong to him. Anybody ever had somebody come on strong to you? I hope it didn't happen this morning, all right? This is the place to seek God, all right? Um, not a date. All right, so um, seek God first, and he might give you a date, uh, but it's in that order. But, but she comes on really strong to him, and she's like, come with me. Come into my chamber. Come into my room. <laughs> come on in here. You know what I'm saying? Can't you smell this perfume? All right. I don't know what kind of perfume they used back then. But anyway, here's this invitation to Potiphar, now she knows, think about this, if you've read Proverbs 5 through 7, see, you, you think about that, and I know it's coming to your mind, is the, the proverb says there, I believe it's in chapter 7, uh, that it's talking about that there's the lady, she's got all her perfume on, she's decked out, she's beautiful, she's got ill intentions, the enemy's working in this lady to be a hook in somebody, that's another man's wife, to be a hook in somebody that's a believer, uh, when she's representing a non-believer, and to, when he walks by her house, he catches the smell uh, uh, of, that of that perfume. And he sees the beauty of that negligee or whatever it is, that, that lingerie on the edge of the door there when he's walking by doing his duties and trying to, to get on home where he's supposed to be. And, 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 and so basically it entices him, the proverb says. She's got her bed even laid out where everything is uh, nice and fluffy. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And everything's laid out right. And so she's just like, here it is, man. Here it is, right? I'm just being real. And Proverbs says that the dumb man, it doesn't use that word, but you might as well say it, all right? Because we dumb, all right, sometimes. We real dumb, all right? You better... You better hide your kids, hide your wife, hide your dog. You better hide everybody, all right, because we dumb in the flesh, all right? We just dumb. All right, so, so that's a little over some of y'all, but anyway, we'll talk about it later. Um, but there's just sometimes an ignorance to us when we fall into sin, when we fall into temptation and all these things. And so the dumb man, he, he, he goes by, he, he, appeals, he allows us to peel the senses, just like Adam and Eve, and he goes because guess what? Everything's laid out right. Her father, Proverbs, I mean, her, father, her husband, Proverbs 7, says is on a long journey. And there's plenty of time to do what you want to do, get what you want to want. And guess what? Same thing the enemy told King David. 
Nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever know. Blessed is the man who walks in his integrity. For his children will be blessed by God. Now when a man goes to meet his selfish desires and becomes prideful and will not die to his pride and is thinking about something that he shouldn't be thinking about rather than drinking from his own well, the Proverbs say, let me tell you something. If that man continues that pattern, it is going to mess him up. It is going to, to literally not only mess him up, it's going to impact his children when he goes through the mess that has to be cleaned up for dishonoring God. And the blessing will not come on us, men when we're not the men of God that we should be. So Joseph says, I'm going to be the man of God. And what does he do? Here's what he does in Genesis chapter 39. When she comes on to him, because he was a handsome joker. Looky there, uh, at verse uh, uh, six, six. Right there at the bottom, verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Um, and uh, so basically she cast her eyes on Joseph, it says in verse 7, and she said, lie with me. Hey, let me tell you something right here just came into my spirit. If you fall into the trap when somebody says lie with me, you'll spend the rest of your time trying to lie to get out of it that you really lied with her. And be sure your sins will find you out. Be sure. Nathan said to David, you, you the man who stole another man's lamb when you had your own and plenty of you. Always your sins will find you out. And so Potiphar's wife and her sinful desire, we see it in verse 7, come and lie with me. But thank God, everybody say refused. Every, every man in here say, woman, I refuse to lie with you, you're not my wife. Say it, man. Woman, I refuse to lie with you, you're not my wife. Get thee behind me, Satan. Sometimes you might just need to call her Beelzebub, all right, or Satan or whatever. All right, follow the spirit in that because that could get real crazy, all right? All right, so... So her sinful desire, Joseph's response, I love Joseph's response, but he refused, verse 8, and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of, of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? But you know what? In verse 10, she pulled a Delilah. She just kept persisting. She kept persisting. Fortunately, Joseph didn't make the mistake that he made with Delilah. When she came on to Joseph and she said, well, he won't take the bait. I'll just seize him. And she grabbed him. Young people, young, young people, young men. Do y'all know what Joseph did when she grabbed him by his coat? Can any of you tell me? What Joseph did when she grabbed him by his coat? Did he say, well, this perfume smells too good to pass up? What did he do? He pushed her away and he fled. <laughs> that's, the, that's the modern younger version translation. You know what I'm saying? Because some of these kids are going like, did he push her with a right? Did he push her with a left? You know what I'm saying? All right. So, <laughs> So literally, he, uh, he, the Bible says he fled. And what does Paul tell you as young men and tell us as men and for all men to do? He says, you better flee youthful lust. You better flee sexual immorality. You better flee and turn the channel that's enticing you in to think of another woman like God never intended you to think of any woman except your wife. 
That's exactly, you better, you better flee. What's the truth in this? You can lose your coat and keep your character. You can lose your coat and still keep your character when you flee. But it doesn't mean <laughs> that there won't be, even when you've done what's right, it doesn't mean the enemy won't rear his ugly head and still come at you and try to defeat you and beat you down. So he flees, but guess what she's got? What's the other point in that lesson? Hey, don't just push her and don't just flee. Grab your coat before you go. Amen? <laughs> so, so now she makes up this story. Potiphar comes in. She twists everything. Hey, a woman that will ask you to lie with her that's another man's wife will lie about you to make you look bad. Somebody need to hear that. Somebody said, Lord, I need to hear that a long time ago. You know what I'm talking about? Because I'm one that gave in. Some of you right there entertaining it when you go to get your coffee in the morning. Some of us are there if we're not careful. Some of you ladies, you're there. You thought you'd never be there, but your own husband never tells you how beautiful you look in that dress. You have to go to your own girlfriends to tell you how good something looks on you because your husband stopped being your mirror after six months in your marriage. And you go, that's right. That's right. He stopped being my mirror. He stopped being my marriage. And you say, well, Pastor, what mistake did I make? You stopped, as we taught the middle schoolers this morning uh, in, in their small group class, you, you made the mistake of trying to find your identity and self-worth in that circle of little girls in the seventh grade who were all insecure and who you didn't want to be the first one to leave the circle because you knew they was going to talk about you because you'd been there just staying when the other one left. And so the enemy gets you in that way by either beating you down, telling you how ugly you are, telling you how fast you are, telling you how skinny you are, getting you good to the comparison trap. Either way, I don't even say that works, right? And so, so that's how the enemy gets you. And the whole time, not finding, not finding that you are the unique, special princess and daughter of Almighty God and nobody else has got a fingerprint like yours. Stop trying to find your identity. Stop trying to be somebody else. Be the Lord's servant. And for the men, die to your prideful self. Let God kill. I mean, I feel like God's killing me right now in certain areas of my life. I just feel like, he's, I feel like, but it's a good killing. You know what I'm talking about? It's a good killing. And I, and I know he's faithful to the end. I pray that I'll be faithful to let him do that. To, to kill every ounce of selfishness and pride in me that does not bring honor and glory to God. Be it in any position in, in, in life, be it in my marriage, be it as a father, be it as a pastor, be it as one of our elders, that's my heart's prayer desire. Well, let's look at what happens to Joseph now. Now, Potiphar comes in. What, well, boy, you've been trying to sleep with my girl? You know what I'm saying? And he, he like, you got to go. And so he throws him in jail. Jail, God, I thought you said do what right. I thought you said, I thought that pastor smoke where I said, God's got to honor you and bless you when you walk in obedience. Now, God, I was being obedient and I'm in jail. He must be crazy. How I many you know what it's like to walk in obedience and then the hounds of hell come against you and the circumstances not look so favorable? Yeah. But we got a big God. We got a sovereign God. 
we got a God who wants to teach us, even when we can't understand our situation and our circumstance, and we can't reason it, and we can't figure it out in our mind. we got a God who's sovereign all of it. we got a Romans 8, 28 that says, for, for uh, all things work together for good who, uh, those who love God and are called according to his plan and purpose. Amen? Amen? All things. Some of us never get to the all. We never get to the conclusion. We never get to the fruition because we fail to trust God. We do like Abram and Sarah. We take matters into our own hands when God said that's not how the promise is going to come about. And so that's what God wants to teach us. Now, he gets in jail, and there's two interesting personalities. The cupbearer, there's the cupbearer here, and, and, and the cupbearer has a dream. And the cupbearer's been thrown into jail, and he has a dream, a vine with three branches. They budded, they blossomed, they came out, the clusters ripened into grapes, and he squeezed the grapes into Pharaoh's cup and placed it into his hand. But he can't figure out what he's doing in jail now because he's gotten in a little, they're trying to figure out some things in his life and these guys. And, and so he, he kind of, nobody knows what to tell him, but Joseph's there. And so he tells the dream to Joseph. And Joseph says, here's what your dream means, cupbearer. In three days, three, those, those three days represent three vines. Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position and his, uh, as his cupbearer. Joseph's request after he tells him this, because this guy's smiling by this time. Like, I hope you know what you're talking about. You know what I'm saying? But at least it sounds optimistic. And Joseph says, uh, can I just request one thing? Um, will you remember me and mention to Pharaoh that I'm in here and I've done nothing wrong? W would you just mention to him, bring it up? Because I really don't like it in here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and would you, would, you, would you remind him of that? Then the chief baker's dream, he has a dream that three baskets of white bread are on top of my head, but birds were eating all the bread. Let me read that again, all right? Three baskets of white bread on top of my head, but birds were eating all the bread. Now, Joseph's interpretation of that is, you good as dead. All right, in short, you good as dead. In three days, all right, in three days, three baskets, three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from your body. Now, that's when you go, ooh, I think I'd rather stay in jail, amen? But that's what will happen. Chapter 40, verse 18 says that. Third situation and final situation. Joseph against the famine. God's bringing all of this to fruition. Joseph against the famine. What happens is, as we see in Genesis chapter 41, uh, is where this comes through. Like I said, a fascinating story here. Pharaoh is dreaming now. And Pharaoh dreams that seven sick skinny cows eat up seven fat healthy cows. And everybody at Chick-fil-A threw a party and said, that's why we Christians and follow Jesus. All right, I'm joking. All right. Now it goes on to say that seven withered thin scorched heads of grain sprouted up and swallowed up the seven good healthy heads of grain. None of his guys can tell him what's going on. None of his closest advisors to him, none of the magicians, none of the, you know what I'm saying, people around can tell him what's going on. And somebody finally goes, hey, 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 let, while I'm pouring you this cup right here and so glad to be restored back to being your cup bear, I met a guy over there in prison, and that joker good is interpreted in his dream. Because mine came just as he said. He said, go get him. So he went and got him, and he said, I hear you can interpret dreams, Joseph. And Joseph says, no. <clears throat> Where are you going by it, Pastor? That's kind of what Joseph said. 
No, but the God over me and in me can. What are you saying? Be real careful. No matter how much you do your Bible study, no matter how much you read, no matter what your position is, to ever think it's about you or your ability or your power. Because I'm telling you, it's not about you. And you're going to need the Almighty God to complete His work in you for His glory, not, not, not our glory. And so Joseph's interpretation, there's going to be seven good, fruitful years of abundance followed by seven terrible years of famine. Joseph's solution to Pharaoh, store up. Everybody say, store up. Store up. He said, store up. What happened? Well, Pharaoh listened. Not only did he listen, he exalted Joseph to the second highest position, even over the Potiphar who threw him in prison. <laughs> Somebody say, that's my God. Well, he'll be ours too if we'll wait on him. If we'll not throw in the towel. If we'll get outside of ourselves and say, God, whatever it is you want to do in and through me, God. Even if it doesn't look like what I want to look like, God, whatever you want to do. Genesis 42, let me tell you what happens right here real quick as the band's coming. Jacob tells his sons, except Benjamin, which was Rachel's other only son, our, our, our youngest son. She had Joseph and, and, um, and Benjamin. And that happens in those contexts. So another reason not to have more than one wife. But anyway, they had a little more permission back then. Uh, but we see it happen in our thorough world country context, in our adopted city. Sometimes the first wife, our children are favored. It creates tensions. But um, So anyway, Joseph tells his sons, minus Benjamin, to go to Egypt to buy grain and keep them from starving to death. We're out of food. Genesis 43, his brothers return. Um, with, they go and see him. They don't know it's him. And they don't know it's Joseph. They return with silver in the top of their bags that Joseph planted in their bags. And they tell Jacob that Joseph's tracked them down, accused them of being spies, and held Simeon as prisoner and demanded that they bring this younger brother back to make sure their story lines up. Of course, that's not why he wanted to bring the younger brother back. He just wanted to see his brother. And it, and it just got him when he did. But. So Jacob grieved, sends them back with the silver plus additional silver for grain after he tells them, I've already lost one son. And now you're going to take my other son from my love choice wife? Mm. Here's what came into my spirit. God somehow gets glory out of teaching us that if we'll be willing to let go of what seems so close to us and tell him that he means more to us. He'll be sovereign over what our letting go is and he'll bless us through it. Did it with Abraham. Your only son. Take your only son. Take the promised son and, and sacrifice him in obedience. And Jehovah Jireh came through for Father Abraham. He'll come through for us if we just follow him and trust him. But he said, he's grieved, he sends them back, really doesn't have an option, with the silver plus additional silver for grain and gifts for Joseph, and against his desire, he sends Benjamin as well, and it greatly grieved his heart. He prepares meal and gets emotional. Uh, Joseph, when they're coming, Joseph prepares a meal, says, prepare a meal for them. He gets emotional when he sees Benjamin coming. In, in fact, one, one, one instance, he had to excuse himself. Genesis 44, final test by Joseph. They still don't know it's him. 
He places silver in each bag and places his personal silver cup in top of Benjamin's bag, tracks them down and confronts them. Judah tries, one of the brothers, Judah tries to negotiate, especially when Joseph states he will keep Benjamin. <laughs> they return to Joseph's house and he reveals his identity to them. They then return, they're blown away, number one. But can I tell you what they become grateful for? They become grateful for when they're standing before their brother who had every right to be jealous, bitter, anger, and allow the cancer of being the victim kill him. They're grateful to know that they're standing before a man who represents the Lord Jesus Christ in all his forgiveness. Amen? Amen? In all his forgiveness. And so they then return to get Jacob and bring him to meet Joseph. And it's a beautiful, beautiful testimony and story of the hand of God. Genesis 45. I just have two more verses that tie in with our takeaway this morning. Genesis 45, 7 through 8 says this. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Amen. Our God is always at work. Now, Genesis 50, verse 19 through 20. This is the one that ties in with the takeaway. Remember the takeaway. You can win against all odds when you're in the place of God. I love Genesis 50, 19 through 20. But Joseph said to them when they were in fear, Lord, we may die, he may kill us. It's the one that we practically were going to kill. And, and all these hardships come against him. He could be so angry, so bitter. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I, or I am, either way you want to say it, for am I in the place of God. For am I in the place of God? Look at verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. Ultimately, the enemy working behind that. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Everybody say, as they are today. So as you bow your head and you close your eyes in this time of response, I want to ask you some questions. In what ways are the odds currently stacked against you? In what ways are the odds stacked against you? And, and I, I want you to go in those deep ways that the odds are stacked against you. In your marriage where the devil's told you it'll never get better. In your marriage, ladies, where you're praying for your husband who you can't even get to the house of God and the devil's telling you that he ain't ever going to change. He's not ever going to go to the house of God. In the areas where addiction has a hold on you and the devil's telling you to run to the temporary source of pleasure and you know it's only going to take you to darker places and deeper pain, I want you to go to that place and see the odds stacked against you. In the area where God's coming in, and are the enemies coming in and he's trying to steal your children? There's distance in between you and your kids. I want you to go to that place. And I want you to confess the odds seem stacked against you. Lord, tell God, not me. I'm not, I can't help you. God can. What are you going through that you don't fully understand? 
what do you do when you go through something you don't fully understand? You go to God's Word. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. We'll go to James. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Oh, God, give us wisdom today. Give me wisdom, Father. Give us wisdom. Here's another question. How are you doing with trusting God and walking in integrity? How you doing, young guys? You taking that second look, third look, fourth look? How you doing, grown men? You drinking out of your own well? Are you only desiring to drink out of your own well? How about it, ladies, with finding your identity and security? Are you truly seeing yourself as a princess of God? Find your worth and value. Last question. Are you trusting that God is doing a bigger work in and through you even when you can't see it? Are you trusting that God is doing a bigger work in you even when you can't see it? I think of the bigger work, and here's an example that comes to my mind. Rich, you and the band sang it in that last song, and it was this statement right here. Literally speaking to this. I'm going to have you say it right, but it was where the orphans find a home. Where the orphans find a home. <laughs> Woo, you want the enemy against you. Try to do like some of our people are doing and making a home for the orphans, as the Bible's told us to do. And I thought, oh God, you are faithful. You are faithful, oh God. And Lord, I know it must require a great amount of trust when you're doing a bigger work. And we never saw you as going to call us to it. We never, we, 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 we even sometimes still struggle, like believing it's going to happen and seeing it, even though you know what you've called us to. But our God is faithful. And we have to ask ourselves, am I in the place of God? So as you bow your head and you close your eyes, I want you to ask yourself that. Yeah, there's some in here that you, I'm just going to tell you, you can't be in the place of God if you don't know God and you're not in a personal relationship with Him. You just can't be there. You say, how do I get there, Pastor? The way he said. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. And basically, his word says, if we'll confess our sin and confess him as Lord and Savior, when we are prompted by the Holy Spirit, ultimately in the fullness of the context of the Bible, that we too can be saved by placing our faith in him and turning from ourselves. If that's you, say, dear Lord Jesus, I confess my sins and I respond to your invitation <laughs> and I invite you Lord to be the Lord and Savior of my life in Jesus name I pray amen and a second fold prayer for everyone in the room that needs to pray it everyone who says God give me greater faith and greater trust that you're in control just pray it to him say dear God in heaven you know how the odds are stacked against me God help me to faithfully follow you and help me to walk in integrity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, to your feet this morning. Thank you for your attentiveness. I know that we want to honor God in this time. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, Rich, if you in the band, here's what I feel led to do. Um, if you prayed that prayer this morning, or if you would be willing to say, Pastor, 
right now in this current season of my life, I got some what appears to be odd stacked against me. Would you just come right down here in this area and let me pray over you real quick, all right? Let's just make this a house of prayer. Just come right down here if you say, Pastor, I got some odds stacked against me. Going so fast. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody be the first for the, the rest that may be. I just got odds stacked against me. Would you just come down here? Thank you. Oh, it could be anything. Like I said, it could be married. It could be a wayward child. It, it, it could be death at the door. It, it, it could be those closest to you and you feel like the enemy's gonna, gonna, gonna pull you away. Whatever it is. And then the rest of you, I want, I want you as the Spirit leads you to come help me put a prayer covering. If God says you go put a prayer covering, I want you to come help me put a prayer covering. Elders, God will tell you that. I believe it in all my heart. We gotta put a prayer covering over these that God's called us to shepherd. That's all we're wanting to do. And we just want to put a covering. Now, some of you now, you're just saying, I just got to go get into covering. Because God is, God is the covering. Jesus, high priest, prayer. Father, make them one as you and I are one. Father, don't take them out as much as I'd love to have them here around the throne. But just leave them in for those yet to come. One of those yet to come said yes to Jesus today, possibly. One of those yet to come right now under the anointing of the Spirit of God as we pray over you. You're going to say, God, I'm tired of trying my way, and I'm saying yes to Jesus, and I'll follow you. And then some who say, I'm ready to throw in the towel. Things don't seem so favorable. And God's going to say to you, I am your God, and I am putting a puzzle together, and I am building a work for my glory, not yours. Stay in it. Stay in it. Trust God in it. Move when God says move. Whatever it is, Father, it's in your name, God, the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, that we cry out, that we approach the throne in confidence, not from our goodness, not from our works, God, but by the Lamb of God and the work done at the cross. Lord Jesus, you have the ear of our Father. We intercede. On behalf of one another, we put a covering over every person. God, I need the covering, God. Lord, many need the covering, God. We put a covering over one another, Father. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for interceding for us 24-7. Now, God, with you, all things are possible, Father God. Would you, God, use us, Father Lord, to fulfill the plan and purpose and your will on our life for the glory of your almighty name, Father God, Lord. Increase our faith, God. Increase our trust, God. And bless your people, Father God. Lord Jesus, bless us as you build us and build your church, Father. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said...